Hi there. Welcome back to the Out of the Cave podcast with Lisa Schlossberg. I'm your host, Lisa Schlossberg, a licensed social worker, certified health coach, personal trainer, and yoga instructor. If you, like I have, struggle with your relationship with food, eating, and body image, I am here with this podcast to guide you into healing the relationship you have with yourself through a trauma-informed, holistic, and mind-body-soul approach. Together, we can support you in building a lifestyle of more peace, freedom, safety, and power. Okay. Hello again. This is again one of my favorite people because this is Amanda. Amanda is another one of my clients who has done both one-on-one and group work with me. So today I would love to just introduce you and have an amazing conversation with my love, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm good. It's so good to be here with you. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm excited to share your story and all your wisdom. So let's get started. My first question for you, Amanda, just so you can introduce yourself to our audience, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, what you do, who are you? (laughs) Um, So my name is Amanda um, and I live in Lake Forest Park, Washington, which is just north of Seattle. Um, I am 44 years old. I am married. I have two sons, um, 15 and 12. Uh, I work in public education um, as a paraeducator, mostly with kindergartners. Um, Yeah, that sort of sums me up. Great. Okay. So my first question for you is, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with food, eating, your body, your weight, starting from a young age. So let's say like zero to 10-ish years old. Do you remember anything about your relationship with those things? So I was your average kid when it came to body weight. Um, I did not have any issues with my weight during those, those years. Um, and it really wasn't till we got deep into our work that I was able to reflect and really see and make connections about how food played a role during those years. Um, just to give a little, um, history or give a little more information. Um, I was a product of divorce. Um, I had an abusive mother physically and mentally, emotionally, and I had an alcoholic father. Um, so I definitely feel like food was something I sought out as a comfort at times. Um, and especially candy and sweets. I feel like that was sort of a go-to, um, when I was, or even just feeling lonely or just feeling bad in general, that was something that I, um, I turned to on a somewhat regular basis. Um, 
also, I feel like when I think about back to that time frame, um, I also feel like food was one way I connected with each one of my parents mm-hmm. um, because there wasn't a lot of connection physically or emotionally. Um, but like, I remember going to the grocery store and, you know, when we would get to the checkout, my mom would always let me get a candy bar. And to me, it was almost like this form of love. Yeah. Like that was a way she showed me that she cared. Um, and kind of, and with my dad, like, and also too, I feel like one, she would take us out for fast food quite a bit. And it was just me and her, my parents were divorced. And so that was another like area, if that makes sense, where I felt like we connected because she was doing something nice for me, which was sort of rare. Yeah. Um, and kind of same with my dad, like he was checked out a lot of the time, but I feel like, you know, he would take me out to eat. Um, and I don't know if anyone will know what this is, but there was the Schwann's food delivery service back in the day. And it would come to your house and you could pick out stuff, you know? And I was always like, can we get the ice cream or whatever? And again, it was like one area that, that there was like a positive interaction. Maybe that's the right word. Um, so, and that's all, you know, stuff that I've figured out as I've gone on this journey, um, that sort of followed me later in life, you know, as a food being a form of love or connection or, you know, mood lifter, um, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all of this. I can imagine how many people are hearing themselves in what you're sharing and seeing themselves in a bit of your story. I think that's why it's so powerful just to show yourself and, you know, share your story. Um, I think, and you and I were just talking about this, but I kind of want to share it with everyone that's listening that when we were working together one-on-one, this was Amanda, you teaching me this, that very often, I think a lot of us as kids have what we consider very quote unquote normal experiences so that we feel a little, a little maybe isolated or maybe a little left out or a little excluded or a little like not cool enough or something like so normal that many of us go through and is part of, you know, the growing pains of life in school and socialization into reality. But I remember hearing from you and our work together that you started to piece together like you're saying now, you figured it out later in life, you were piecing together that actually, yeah, it was in those moments that you felt really lonely, that you'd go to the corner store and get a candy bar. Or it was during that lunch period in school, where you didn't know where who to sit with. And then you'd go out, you know, leave school and go find the candy. And I just remember like, watching you put those dots together of like, wow, food was comfort food was safety, especially sugar, especially candy. And when I think very often we go through life thinking, well, I was just your average kid. I was just your normal kid, right? Like I wasn't an emotional eater. I didn't have a food issue. I didn't have a weight issue because none of those things are on your radar yet. You didn't have a weight issue because you didn't have a weight issue. You didn't have a food issue because it wasn't an issue. It kept you company. It kept you safe. It kept you feeling loved. It was not an issue. Right. And I wasn't binging. I wasn't hiding it. I wasn't, 
you know, it was quote unquote normal. Right. You know, right. And consumption so, of, yeah. Yeah. I just think it's so important to just kind of highlight that because of how many people experience that as a kid and have that emotional relationship or dependency on food completely overlooked because, oh, you're just being a normal kid. And of course you want a candy bar, but what's actually going on there is I'm not being seen and I'm not being heard and I'm not getting my needs met and I don't feel loved. And there's an entire conversation there that thankfully, when you can explore this work later in your life starts to make sense. But part of the intention in this podcast and all of this work is that hopefully it doesn't have to wait until so much later in life to start putting these things together. So thank you just for sharing that and being an illustration of a really important concept. So, okay. After childhood and, you know, those years of using food, maybe relying on food in those times when you feel like you needed it, same. At what point, maybe tell me a little bit about just like your teenage years, maybe early twenties, like when did it start to put itself on your radar that like something was going on here with food or your body? So I would say, um, as far as body goes, I feel like, um, that came on my radar in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, I have always been a curvy female. Um, and you know, there were little things that would come up, um, even within my family would make comments about me being curvy or at school, I started to get attention for being curvy. Um, I didn't really have any negative. I wasn't, it, it didn't impact me a lot at the time. I was going to actually just ask you that before you move on this. Now this is so interesting. Cause it's like, depending on when you grew up and where you grew up, curvy could mean a million different things. <laughs> so I'm curious, like when you yeah. say that it was common knowledge to you and your family and, you know, the kids at school that you are in a curvy body, what does that mean to you and to them at that time in that place? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so I've always been big breasted okay. in the chest. And I always had, I mean, people would always say, oh, you have such a bubble butt or such a, you know, and then I had a small waist. So, so positive thing. So yeah, it was a positive thing. And most of the attention was positive uh-huh. from like, you know, the opposite sex. But I do remember times being self-conscious and not wanting the attention. Uh-huh. Um, like I remember one time going home from school and saying I was sick because I'd worn a form fitting skirt. And I remember someone making some comments about it. And I was like, Oh, get me out of here. I don't, you know? And so I said, I didn't feel good and went home. Yeah. But it wasn't, you know, I, yeah. I, I mean, it wasn't regular, but it, yeah. it in looking back, I, my high school years did become, um, yeah. I was more aware yeah. of, of my body. And I think like, I will just interject with my own very transparent thought. That is when I was going through high school, I was roughly 300 pounds. So we had a very different experience there. And it's just, again, I think worth noting that when you grow up 
in some ways the way that I did of being in a size that didn't get a lot of positive attention, in fact, got negative attention, we tend to think that, oh, I want what you have. (laughs) I want to go to school in a form-fitting dress and look really curvy and sexy and have all this positive attention. And that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. And it's incredible to hear this because the truth is that you can, you can get a lot of praise and reward for what you look like in that dress and still feel unseen and unheard. And that's the, I need to get out of here feeling. And I experienced that when I lost 150 pounds real quick, it was, I'm getting a lot of attention, but no one's actually seeing me, the human. Mm -hmm. And that again, I think is just a really powerful point that is you can get all the attention in the world, but if you're being seen for your body, not your humanity, you're being judged as a, as a physical, you know, you're being objectified. It doesn't feel good. No. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And then what happened? (laughs) So then, um, So then I would say the next sort of big thing for me was in my early twenties, I started having severe panic attacks. Um, and I didn't know what was happening to me. I thought I was dying. Um, and that sort of started my journey down there in, into the therapy world. Um, and, um, so that went on for a few years really severe, like did not leave my home except to go to work, come back to my apartment. And it was a very small time in my life. Um, I would say, um, when I got married is wherein I really feel like the body issues came on and the food issues like really ramped up for me. Um, I got pregnant very soon after getting married, you know, so obviously changes in the body and hormones and whatnot. Um, but there was a lot of change and a lot of stress. Um, when I got married, um, I had a premature baby. My anxiety was through the roof. We'd bought a house. Like we had started a business, like just stressor, 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 stressor. Um, and So I feel like that period of time was when I really started to um, eat all the things, you know, when I was home, I ended up quitting my job. I'd worked full-time my whole life. And all of a sudden I had a premature baby who had health needs. And I was now a stay-at-home mom, like overnight, which means I'm home all day with a pantry. So it, um, you know, the loneliness ramped up, like taking on this new role, like who am I? Um, so I feel like when I got married was when the food became a bigger issue. I've now been married 15 years. So that was like 15 years ago. Yeah. So when you started to notice that now there's all these stressors, or maybe you didn't even realize at the time that you were so stressed out, but you're noticing that food and eating is now on your radar because 
it's it's becoming aware. You're you're becoming aware of it in your everyday life. So then what starts to happen in terms of like how did you respond to it? What kinds of things did you try to do? How did that go? Well, and I think what it triggered in me, um, and again, this is stuff I figured out later, mm-hmm. but I feel like I, um, I felt like I was not good enough as I put on weight after I got married. So there was, which was, you know, stuff from my childhood of not feeling good enough for my parents. I was now in this relationship and I'm like, I'm not good enough um, as I'm starting to gain weight. So, oh boy, Um, I did Weight Watchers. I did um, Jenny Craig at one point. Um, I exercised, I did, you know, a 10K. I got into running. Um, And then like that sort of cascaded into having digestive I started getting digestive symptoms, which led me to like elimination diets. And, oh, I think it has something to do with lactose or dairy or gluten, or, you know, I did these like SIBO diets, like, um, I can't remember the name of it, but like a specific carbohydrate diet. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I juiced, I had green drinks, I, you know, all the things like all the external things, external, like that was the only thing I knew. Yeah. So, okay. I just want to clarify this. So we understand that when these things are starting to pop up on your radar around food and eating your body, you start going the route of all the different diet methods, all the different cleanses, all the different, all the different diets, all the different things you could change around food and eating. Yes. Okay. How did that go? Um, I mean, there were times where I would drop some weight, um, but it's never been sustainable. Um, I feel like it just has slowly crept and crept, um, up. Or, and if I did lose some, eventually I would put it back on plus some more. Yeah. I mean, and then during, over the pandemic, I feel like I got like terrible, um, probably the most weight I've put on. Okay. So once you start realizing that these things are happening, you turn, I would say like basically everyone to the front line of the issue, which is the diet industry. Mm-hmm. You check out all the diets you possibly can. You try a million different things. I'm sure you follow them all to a T because that's how we do it. And then you lose some weight and then you gain it all back. And then you lose some weight and then you gain it all back. And then you lose some weight and then you gain it all back. So you're having the experience that I've already shared here that I have had and millions and millions of others have had. So at what point then, how did you find me and this very not diet culture approach? Well, so, um, I found out about TMS. Um, I think it's been three years now, two and a half, three years. Mm -hmm. I got excruciating chronic back pain. Um, it started as sciatica. Um, and I spent four months on my floor. 
Um, I took a few week long absences from work. I could either lay flat um, or sometimes get into a standing position. And I was at my wits end and trying to schedule back surgery. And there was a glitch with my insurance um, and they denied my insurance claim to go through with it. Like I was scheduling the insurance or scheduling the surgery and they called and said, I'm sorry, you've been denied. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, I was crying every day. I was on every pill you could think of. I did massage. I did acupuncture. I did spinal decompression. I changed my diet. I did B12 shots. Like once again, all the things. And I just remember laying in my bed flat. And I was like, like the surgery was my way out. And I was like, if I'm not having this surgery, I, how am I going to get myself out of this? And lo and behold, on my nightstand from when I was going through all this was a book that my brother-in-law had given me healing back pain by Mm -hmm. John Sarno. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking at it and I was like, what else? I mean, I have nothing to lose at this point. And I had, it had sat there for probably a month. Right. um, As I tried all these other things. And so I started reading it and, and I was like, holy smokes, like, what is this? You know? And I know some people say like they read the book and then they were better. And that, that was not me. So I just want to say that because I know people get frustrated where they're like, well, I learned this and I didn't immediately get it. Right. Can you just, can you tell us just a second, a little bit about like, for those of us who have never heard of John Sarno or or are not familiar with TMS, you know, can you tell us just a little bit when you say like, holy smokes, I read John Sarno's healing back pain. Like, what does that mean? What did that do for you? So, so the, so healing back pain, um, my brother-in-law had read it and he had gotten himself out of back pain by reading this. So the whole premise TMS, I think it stands for a couple of things, but tension myositis syndrome. Um, and it basically is focusing on the mind body connection with chronic pain. Um, and so this book is all about like chronic pain being an emotional, emotional causes for chronic pain. Right. And and he is like, he was the original, like sort of godfather of this. So it, it, it is um, a bit technical and, and like, you know, it's easy to read, but I was like, I, I need, I need more information. Like, what is this? You know? Right. And so then I did a Google right? <laughs> and, uh, and Nicole Sachs's name came up and I was like, who's this, you know? And so I started reading about her and I'm like, oh my God, she knew John, John Sarno. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that was how I found Nicole. And once I read this book, I mean, light bulbs left and right. I mean, I've had rashes. I had Bell's palsy. I had, um, I mean, so many TMS things. I had, um, swollen eyes for a whole year with no explanation from the medical world. So it's kind of things that no one can explain why they're happening to you. Right. You want to look at the emotional piece. Right. And this is also why 
some people have the experience of reading that book and having that that like almost immediate instant recovery because of that because that's what that's what it's about is that yeah. when you sit back and you absorb that all this information is really just showing you how your mind body connection functions and some people have the experience of reading this book realizing that they're not broken their body's not broken they are not defective there's nothing wrong with them and that experience is sometimes rarely but sometimes all it requires for that person to no longer be in pain anymore. So that's what Amanda's totally. referring to when we're talking about the kind of like book recoveries that happen miraculously. Um, because that is what, like you said, John Sarno in many people's opinion is like the, the father of mind-body medicine. And that's the beginning of understanding the way that our repressed emotions and emotional world become physical, chronic pain and disordered relationships with food and eating, which is what we're talking about here. But that's right. how it all connects, just for those of you who are listening yeah. who are not so familiar with all the different parts, you know? But okay, so you read John Sarno's book, you're having a million aha moments. Oh, I find Nicole. See, yeah. I could see all the times, like in my history, of where, and you could always link it with some high stress thing going on in my life. Yep. Was when these things were happening. And so, um, that was fascinating. And then I just sort of dove into Nicole's stuff, like her YouTube videos. And I immediately ordered her book and um, I've done her courses. Um, I mean, all the things I couldn't absorb enough information and, you know, lo and behold, slowly, but surely my pain started to get better. Yep. Um, and I would say, it took a few more months for it to really be gone, but it was gone. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing. I was like, this is, you know, the greatest thing ever. And then um, before you keep going, what are some of the things that you remember from that period of time where, you know, you were just lying in bed, couldn't move, scheduling a back surgery to oh my God, a million aha moments, all the light bulbs are going off. I've connected everything. And a few months later, your pain is gone. For those of us who are listening to this episode being like, how did you get from there to there? <laughs> like if you can think back to, because truth be told, all of this work is the same, right? Anything that worked for you around your sciatica is going to work for you around your relationship with food coming from this perspective. So if you just try to think about what are some of those things that while the dots are connecting and the light bulbs are going off, you're realizing and, you know, integrating into your life. Do you remember any of the like big takeaways? Um, I feel like part of where I got hung up was that I had done 20 years of therapy at this point, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I had done EMDR, which is like an eye desensitization, you know? Yep. And then you know, I had another setback and I did a couple solid years of CBT like weekly. And, you know, it's like whenever you spend a, a large amount of time, you're like, okay, I've worked through this stuff. Right. Like I'm good. And then it's like, life hits you upside the head. And all of a sudden, you know, the next thing comes and I'm like, okay, well now I've done all this CBT. Okay. Now I got it. I've worked through it. Yep. And so one of the things part of Nicole's program is looking at sort of mapping out your life a bit 
and going back to specific events in your life and using her journal speak. And I was at first, I was like, dude, I've done this, you know, like I've, I've done this, but, um, how she teaches you to, to do that is just different. And so I could go back to things that I thought I had dealt with and new things came out or new memories or new realizations. And, um, you know, it was just a really good lesson in that, you know, you never really, it's never finished, yeah, so to speak. So it was just a new way to look at things. And then I was introduced to inner child work, which right. was mind-blowing. I mean, that has been a huge piece for me yep. um, in this process. So yeah. yeah, it was a lot of journaling. It was a lot of meditating. It was a lot of, you know, learning how to be compassionate to myself. Like that was non-existent. Like Mm -hmm. it was learning about being a people pleaser and a perfectionist. I'm like, I had never, that was never on my radar. I didn't know those things. Right. Yeah. So what you're saying is what I'm hearing is that it was a combination of in part, just education. Like this is the way the mind body system works. No need to freak out. No need to panic. Like everything is right as it should be. That part's important. And then also things like journaling and meditating, specifically journal speak by Nicole Sachs, specifically inner child work. The reason I'm doing this is because you and I have talked about Amanda, the way that it feels sometimes so abstract, right? All this work is so out there. And so I just want to make a point for the people that are listening that are like, how do you heal yourself? You know, I'm hearing this. I want to do it. What is the work? It's having an education of how the mind body system actually works and functions. You're not doing anything wrong and it's not your fault. Having support, having things and tools in your toolbox that are like journaling and meditating, specifically journal speak. We've already talked about Nicole Sachs. So recommend you go check that out, but just nailing it down into those granular kind of items that people can walk away with who want to do a lot of what you've done, you know, and heal yourself. But I think it starts with that, just showing up in your relationship with yourself and looking for, like you just said, it's, it's, it's a self-reflection. It's exactly like you literally just said, Nicole has us kind of map out our life and just look at what have you been through? What are, what are the things going on inside? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Just look, just look. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about, the reason that journal speak can sometimes provide what talk therapy for years and years and years and years and years can't is because you can sit and talk therapy and just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk while not being connected or present with yourself. You can talk and you could tell stories all day long not being connected to the emotion of it. But the reason that journal speak and journaling in this way, in this just very uncensored, unfiltered way is so powerful and healing is because you have to be there for it. You have to be in your body to really be journal speaking. You have to be really present with yourself to actually let those emotions come up. And that will be transformative energetically in a way that talking and talking and talking for years from a place of disconnection 
will never, ever help us, you know, meet the need. So all of these things are just so important. Thank you for sharing all of it, you know? Um, Okay. So you're healing your back pain. You're connecting all these dots. The mind-body connection is now making sense to you on a daily basis. You're realizing these things about yourself, your people pleaser, your perfectionist, these things that are getting in your way. And then at what point do you stumble into me? (laughs) So I think I had done some mini retreats of hers. I can't remember if I saw you speak. Was it because you were going to Omega? Well, I had signed up for the one in Santa Cruz that got canceled because of COVID. But I think we had started working before that. And I feel like, I mean, like I said, I dug into everything. Yeah. And then I kind of, um, you know, I started to feel better, but I was still trying to keep with the daily practice and trying to maintain um, the mind-body awareness. And then... um, I heard you speak or you had posted somewhere and I was probably, Oh yes, totally. I'm sure. Yes. It was the podcast. Yeah. And I was like, food and eating, wait a minute here. And it was like, you know, I, I honestly almost feel like part of, I don't know. I just feel like the journey was just also meant to be for me, Yeah. Yeah. you know? Cause then it was like, of course, like, of course, like now the back pain is done. I need to focus on why I'm eating the way I'm eating and how I feel about my body. And it just seemed the more I dug into your work, then I was like, oh my gosh, I need to work with this woman. <laughs> so I was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will also say, I think a lot of people that I've sat with have had that experience of, I had chronic pain. I did the mind body work for chronic pain. I heard that food and eating can work the same way. As soon as I heard you speak, I knew that you knew what you were talking about and now we're here. And so, yeah, I think that that very often happens combined with the element of, I just kind of feel like it was all divinely orchestrated. (laughs) Like you just showed up at the right time. Like that's very often, I think how this works and how it feels. So, so yeah, so we start working together. We start doing some one-on-one sessions and then you also did my group program. So I'm curious over these months of us doing this work together, um, what are some, if you remember, of the big takeaways or some of the big nuggets of wisdom that feel important to you to share? Oh, there's so many. (laughs) Um, you know, I mean, I do, I feel like there were so many sessions where it would start, you know, I'd be like, I, you know, don't know what we're going to talk about. And then it's like the floodgates would open or, um, it, yeah. Um, it's interesting. I feel like there's a lot of things that come to mind, but I feel like, you know, a lot with self-compassion, like mm-hmm. having to just be um, patient and gentle and kind with myself, which was something I'd never done. So that was uncomfortable. Yeah. And having to just like sit in that um, mm-hmm. discomfort and 
you know, one big aha, I don't know, this is just popping into my brain right now, was we did a, we did an activity around the scale. Yeah. Yep. And I had always had a tumultuous relationship with the scale and it sat in my bedroom and sometimes I would get on it, but I knew it was always going to ruin my day. Like I knew it was always going to ruin my day. And so we had done some work. I think it was, it was a, it was an activity in the group during group. And I remember saying to you, it was like, I feel like it's like a perpetrator in my, in my bathroom that controls how I feel, you know? And I just remember you being like, do you need, like, why do you need that? Like, why do you ever have to get on a scale again? Like that doesn't dictate anything. Right. You know, and it was like this free moment. I was, I, that scale has not been in my bathroom ever since. Huge. And it was like the most freeing thing of like, yeah, I don't need this. Right. Like just really figuring out to quit looking at external things mm-hmm. and to just keep coming back to me and who I am and what I know about myself and yeah um and that the that there's no like final destination like I'm really not trying to get anywhere anymore I'm not it's it's a journey and different things are going to come and trigger me or I'm going to have a high stress moment that's life and um you know it's all going to ebb and flow but I just, now I know that how to like pause. Yeah. I mean, pause has become such a yeah. huge word for me to pause and just sort of take stock. Like, whoa, what's, what's going on here? Like, yeah. how am I feeling? Yes. You know, and it's not perfect. I'm okay. not perfect all the time. You know, sometimes I still read the pantry. Like it's not you know, you don't have to be perfect to be becoming more aware. I just, the awareness has been huge. Yeah. The awareness just. So I want to, before you get to awareness, because it is so important and we're not going to forget about it, but I want to also point out, I'm just going to take this opportunity to say this because again, with the intention of really making this granular and making this digestible, for people to understand. Okay. In this culture, I think, especially right now, self-love and self-compassion is like a buzzword. It's like everyone knows, right? Just love yourself. Just love yourself and like, be so nice to yourself. And it's very important, but how do we do it is very often the question. How do you do it? How do you be nice to yourself? How do you actually treat yourself with love? It's a very valid question, but I want to just use what you just said, because very often when we think of how do I be nice to myself or how do I treat myself with love? It's like, I know I'll just like get on the scale, but then I'll be nice to myself. (laughs) I'll like, just get on the scale and then I'll make sure that I'm saying nice things to myself. That'll work, right? Like that's being nice to myself. And that's really understandable. 
that that's where we would land with that is like, okay, I'll get on the scale and I'll be nice to myself. Like, boom, that should be as simple and straightforward as it goes. It doesn't work that way because as something I was just just saying this on Instagram, our actions speak louder than our words, right? This is exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yes, that is you can quote, be nice to yourself with your words. Meaning you can get on the scale and then say some nice stuff to yourself. You can do that. But the reason that's not actually working and the reason it feels like you're, you know, you're saying the right words, but it doesn't feel like you're being nice to yourself is because, and this was the most amazing thing about watching you do this activity with the scale. This was actually in the aftercare program. This was the alumni group program that we did this in. And when we were doing this, the amazing thing about watching it and witnessing you do this was that you were piecing together that every single morning you feel like there is a predator in your bathroom. And in this activity, in having you just share that with yourself in having you just witness that in yourself, you immediately were able to look at that and be like, why do I do this to myself? And from that moment, you have not gotten on the scale. And that, everyone, is what it means when we're talking about how do you treat yourself with love? Your feelings matter, period, the end. Your feelings matter. So it's not complicated. It's very simple. It's just also not that easy because we're not really wired to do this naturally. But what you did there was say, this is how I feel about having a scale. And you were observing of that. You witnessed yourself have a feeling and you said, I'm no longer doing this to myself. I'm going to get the scale out of there. And this is how you actually demonstrate treating yourself with love and embodying self-love is when you get to a point where you say, actually, I feel like that's a predator. I'm going to just get it out of the bathroom. I don't need to do this every day. I'm not doing this every morning. I refuse to wake up and greet a predator at my door every day. I'm not doing that anymore. Because the truth is, you have the power to create your reality. And when you just pause, like we've just been saying, when you just pause and look around, just get aware, just reflect what's going on here. How are you responding to things? It becomes simple, not easy. To identify where are the predators in your bathroom? Where are the predators in your house? Where are the predators in your life, at your job, in your relationships, in your work, whatever? Where are the predators in your life? And when you start coming at it from that place of, yeah, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't want to do this to myself anymore. That's you taking your power back one moment at a time. That's what self-love is to me anyway. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I was just, when you started to talk about the actions speak louder than words too, another thing that was just came to me that was really beneficial was the whole concept of, you know, why are you doing something? Is it based out of love or fear? Yeah. And I became aware really quick that my whole life, not just with food, but with food too, was so fear-based. I can't eat that because I'm scared of how I'm going to feel. I can't eat that because it's going to, what it's going to do to me, you know? 
And even with the scale, like, why am I getting on the scale? You know, because I'm scared what it's going to say. So I feel like that has been a really useful tool to be able to look at things and be like, okay, why am I doing that? You know, because fear has been so much louder than love um, my whole life. Yeah. And I think that is what's true for so many of us is if we're not awake, like if we're not paying attention, I feel like our default setting, I'm not even going to say our factory settings. To me, our factory settings are love. That's like our essence and our soul. That's where we exist. But our default settings (laughs) are ironically not our factory settings, meaning our default settings are what we default to. And so if we're not being mindful, conscious, intentional, connected to that, I think our default is fear, right? Because the ego just runs the show. It's driven for survival and protection and safety and all of those things. So it's fear-based. It keeps us alive. It has to be fear-based. But that's kind of the point is that if you just leave your thoughts in their autopilot place, they're going to be from a place of fear. And very likely the energy of most of, if not all of our life decisions and choices will be fear. But that's also why this work can be so transformative is because then it's not just around food that things start to heal. It's around all areas of life that you start to realize you're behaving more out of love than fear. This is why, you know, even people who you went through the group with were saying things like, I am a better mother. I'm a better business owner. I'm a better sister. I'm a better human from doing this work. Because when you start shifting into embodying love more than fear, everything responds to that, not just your relationship with food. It's huge. Yes. Huge. Thank you for sharing that. So you shared a lot of really amazing things so far. Are there any last kind of just pointers or notes that you really want to make sure you give voice to. I think something that just popped into my head while we were talking is the quote that Nicole Sachs says all the time about TMS and chronic pain is it's not an epidemic of pain. It's an epidemic of fear. Right. And so the way that I think you've demonstrated that as you become more familiar with how the mind body system works, you become more familiar with feeling feelings, telling the truth, setting boundaries, you realize that it's not an epidemic of pain or weight or food or any of that. It's an epidemic of fear of not being able to control all of those parts, you know? So I think that's another, just another thing I don't want to forget to say. It's such an amazing quote and it's so abundantly true here, but anything else coming to mind for you that feels important? Um, I just would say to like, to really like honor your journey through it, like try not to compare yourself to other people. Try not to compare how long it's taken someone else to get to a certain spot. Um, you know, it just like, I remember when I first started doing this and I was like, how do I do this? How do I get there? How there was just such this urgency and, you know, it, it's just showing up for yourself and like 
really doing, putting in the work and it, it just all comes together. On, honestly, it comes together if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's all really good advice. Well, I think like you already said, the biggest thing is arguably self-compassion, being gentle, being flexible, being curious, being compassionate, being all those things with yourself and the inner child work, which is basically that. And having those moments where you're just willing to tell the truth about how you feel and then honor it which again, I think your scale story does such a good job of describing what it actually means to just tell the truth about how you feel. I feel like the scale is a predator and then honor that. Okay. So let's get the scale out of the bathroom. The end. Yeah. It's, it's not complicated. Yeah. It's and, just hard to do. <laughs> and you, and you have to be open to doing things that you think are going to be uncomfortable. Please because say more about that. <laughs> because there were so many times we would be doing something, even before the scale thing. I remember being like, oh, I don't, you know, like not wanting to do it, but just to be open. Like we also did a thing about, you know, looking at yourself in a mirror or, you know, something coloring. Else. Yeah. The other thing, like I was going to say is um, in one of the workshops, we did a color, an art thing. And I was like, I'm so not an artist. I, this is not really my jam, but just being open to it and being like, okay, let's give this a whirl. And then lo and behold, I had this like major revelation where we were drawing. I think we were drawing our pain. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, and I, and ended you didn't up, have pain anymore. No. And I ended up, my drawing ended up looking more like a, um, but the, when someone's drowning and they throw like a life ring, yes, you know, like yes. this circular yes. donut looking thing around my middle. And I had this like very like emotional response to this as it like, as the weight I had put on being this safety measure, yep. which is where I carry my weight is in my midsection, you know, and it was this. And I, and that might be too part of what made me go down this, you know, um, the body image food stuff yeah. was, was from that drawing. And yeah. I'm not one that would normally explore art through doing that. So it was just like, there, there's so many things that if you just are like, okay, this right. might be uncomfortable, <laughs> but I'm just going to sit through it which is what you have to do with your emotions anyway. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, and that was a big thing for me too. Emotions were always good or bad before right. this yep. and really learning that like, they're not, they're all the same. They're all going to come and go. And you can literally like, as Nicole says, sit on the kindergarten carpet and invite them in and like, chat, talk about whatever. And then it goes like, yeah. that is so freeing, yeah. you know? So I've had so many freeing things that, that were unexpected, but yes. if you're just open to it and it might be uncomfortable, but it's gonna, who knows where it's going to lead you. Yeah. Huge. So do it. And I'm, so, I'm <laughs> so, so do it. You heard it here first. Just do it. <laughs> just do it. Um, no, I mean, I think that's a really important point 
that is just stay open because as I've already shared in my story, when I first did Nicole Sachs's course and she said, get out the colored pencils. I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. I'm not draw- I have to draw something now. Right. And I was always coming from this place of like, Oh hell no. And I now live in a place where as soon as I start to feel that, like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. I'm like, we got to get in there. This is about to be the best thing that ever happened. Like, this is, this is going to bring us to the biggest nugget that we've ever had. Because, I mean, we have to just know that's the brain doing its protective thing, right? Of like, oh, I'm not going in there. Oh, coloring, that's so stupid. It just, it's putting up that guard so that we don't have to get vulnerable. We don't have to feel feelings. It's doing, it's doing its job. It's trying to protect us. But you and I have that in common, Amanda, that, when I first did my coloring for Nicole, it was one of the first things that really, it was almost like one person was drawing it and a different person was viewing it. And Mm -hmm. I was looking at it, seeing this meaning that I had no idea I was creating while I was drawing it. And it was very similar. I think your experience, because I remember, I remember that image in our session of you sharing that image and the way that you're talking about it of just like, holy shit, this is really safety this is really a protective mechanism. And so again, from me, from Amanda and from all the other people in the world that have always, you know, gotten these aha moments at the bottom of suspending disbelief and just showing up. That is a really important part of the process. When it comes to Nicole's work, step one is believe. I also like to say for me, step one is believe. And also if you don't, it's okay. Just act like you do for a little bit. Because that's how we got started. You know, you just kind of have to throw yourself into it. And that's why you were just saying, just do it. You don't have to, you don't have to know how it ends. You're allowed to think it's, you know, you're allowed to just show up and be like, all right, whatever, let's just do this. And when you're in that place of suspending the disbelief, maybe it won't work, but hey, maybe it will. Let's just see. There's so much that comes from that opening. So I'm really glad that you shared that because I think that's a very important part of this process because if you are not open to it, you are not open to it and it cannot help you. It cannot be here for you if you're not open to receiving it. So thank you, Amanda. Yes. And I will also say community has been a huge part of this. Um, I have met the most amazing people. Like I joke around, I'm always like, if I ever get in a room with Lisa Schwarzberg and Nicole Sachs, I'll be like, mind blown. But just through the, the group sessions and, you know, through your website and your Instagram, I mean, I've met people that live, I mean, over the summer, I met up with someone from the East coast and someone yeah. from another state. And we all got together because there's just been something so amazing about meeting people who are going through the same thing. And, you know, a lot of people aren't doing mind body work. So to meet people who are doing the same thing has been amazing. Like, I can't say enough about this community. It's been truly life-changing. I truly feel like my back pain changed the trajectory of my life. A hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. Thank you for sharing that. You're bringing up a lot of good points that I forget about sometimes because it's true that community is so next level game changer. I mean, I, I personally can only speak for myself, but I got to a point where I realized that I had done just about all the healing work I could do alone on myself. 
And I think that's true for many of us that we like to do the journaling and the meditating and the breathing and the yoga and all the stuff that can make us healthy, but joining and being a part of a community and really connecting with other people, being seen and heard by other humans is non-negotiable in our healing journey. It just is not, we are designed and wired to be seen and heard and connected. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And that is, um, that is why I'm also so excited to have a membership through the website now, because for any of you that are listening to this, you don't have to work with me one-on-one. You don't have to work with me in a group. Now there's an ongoing enrollment in the membership, which is you can come and join the conversation and be a part of this anytime you want. So thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing all of that. Any, any last words for all our listeners? No, it's been a privilege. I was flattered. You even asked me to come. You have, I mean, this is, I mean, like I said, it really did change. It has changed my life, like this work. So, and it's, I've learned things I will use for a lifetime. I've learned things that I will teach my children. I mean, what if we could teach our children this? Oh yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? So it's, it's, I can't say enough good things about you and this program and, you know, anyone out there who's like, oh, this is overwhelming. Like I was there. I was there and you can do it if I can, you know, and I'm still a work in progress. I'm not at, I'm not at the finish line. I'm still, you know, every day just showing up. I'm right there with you. Thank you so much for being here. I love you so much. I can't wait to squeeze you in person. It's going to happen. Oh, please. It won't be long. (laughs) 